Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. How about that for uh, the music? We had some 70s. Oh, oh. I, every time I hear that song, I just want to break into a little 70s move there. We had, uh, I wrote some of these down. We had a little bluegrass, a little indie folk. Um, so that's pretty cool. You know, something for everybody. That's what we do around here. Uh, anyways, and how about those baptisms? That was awesome. Um, so there was over 100 people between our three campuses. Uh, and did you see our two? So we had our two up there. Way to get in there. Um, and so I'm looking forward to our next one. We don't have a date picked, but it'll be sometime, you know, summertime, maybe early fall. Uh, and I know there's a number of you who have placed your faith in Christ some years ago, and some here more recently that have yet to take that step of, of just proclaiming that to people, letting people know that you've placed your faith in Christ. It's kind of like the first step after you've placed your faith in Christ to proclaim that Jesus says be baptized. And uh, so it's just exciting to see all those. Uh, you can sign up even right now um, on the Church Center app. It's there. Again, there's no date yet. But when that happens, uh, let's make sure we have our numbers in there. So today we're finishing up the Gospel of John. What if uh, so the, the uh, grave is empty and what does it mean for us? Uh, by the way, if you've been here, this has been a long series, okay? Um, 21 chapters worth. I don't even remember how many weeks. But if you've been here every one of those weeks, I applaud you. So way to go, way to hang in there. They say that um, regular church attendance is now 50% of the time. Um, and so for you who have been here the entire time for this, way to go. You deserve a hand clap. If nothing else, I would pay you if I could, but um, bills were paid this past week and it's all gone. Um, so anyways, so let me ask you this question. Um, what do you do when you fail Jesus? Or what do you do when you've sinned again? Or, or what, is, what is it you do when maybe you've not just sinned against it, but you've kind of stepped away for an extended period of time? As we close out John's Gospel today, Jesus is going to have a conversation with probably one of the most uh, well-known disciples turned apostles, Peter. And he's going to show us um, how he restores someone who has had a massive spiritual fail in his life. So go ahead and turn to John 21. We're going to be in verse 15. Uh, it's page 1087 if you're using the Bible there. And so Jesus is hanging out with, his, with seven of the 11 disciples. Uh, of course, the 12th one hasn't been picked now after Judas um, killed himself after betraying Jesus. And so um, he's hanging out. We know that there's seven disciples there. They're on the beach after the uh, disciples had gone fishing and they miraculously caught 157 large uh, fish. And so, remember, uh, remember the charcoal fire from last week? You guys are here last week. Yeah, I, I know. I was excited about it. The 9 o'clock service, nobody was really excited about the charcoal fire. But the charcoal fire was all part of this. We're going to be talking about that here in a second. But let's, fi let's find out what's happening now. They've, they've got on shore. They've had their breakfast and Jesus has this conversation with Peter. So, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now he's saying this, of course, in front of the other six disciples who are there, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now he uses the Greek word agape. It's this self-sacrificial, this committed kind of love. He says, do you love me more than these, more than these disciples? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He uses a different Greek word. He uses the word phileo. It has this natural affection type of thing. And he said, Jesus said to Peter, tend my lambs. Now, I put down here at the bottom, if you're a first-time tender with us, welcome, great to have you here. Sorry if I didn't get a chance to meet you. I'm Harold. Um, but I, what I do is when I'm reading the Bible, I, uh, I have to help myself out because if I read a passage, I'll forget what I just got done reading. So I actually break it down and I put parentheses in and I write myself notes and I've got a journal on my computer and I'm writing some, So that's kind of what you're seeing here with the different colored words. But down here, agape, to maybe a little bit different understanding, agape is uh, a person who's willing to meet the need of someone else even if that person doesn't deserve it. Okay, so it's Jesus on the cross, right? We don't deserve the God of this universe becoming man and dying on the cross for us. We don't deserve that. That's agape love. He dies on the cross to have our sins forgiven, all right? Phileo love is we meet the need of somebody else because they've met our need. It's this kind of back and forth type of thing. It's a, it's a familial, family love. It's a friendship. It's a brotherly love. We like somebody because they like us. And they've done nice things for us, and so we want to do nice things back. Which, again, is different than this committed love. So, Jesus said to Peter again a second time, Simon, son of John, which is interesting, Jesus always calls Peter Simon. Um, Not sure why, but he does. Simon, son of John, do you love, do you have this sacrificial commitment for me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I have this natural affection, this admiration, brotherly love for you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you have a familial love for me? Do you have a brotherly love for me? And Peter was grieved. He was deeply distressed. He was sad because he had said to him a third time, do you have a brotherly love for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know, and it has this idea that you know everything. There's nothing that you haven't already learned. You know all things. And, and you, know, you know me personally, is another Greek word. You know me personally that I have this brotherly affection for you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So what's going on with Jesus and Peter? Why is Jesus asking these questions? Why are they throwing out these different words for love? Why is Jesus then using Peter's word for love? Well, evidently, Peter is still pretty distressed and pretty down, and Jesus knows this about the fact that he had denied him, that he had sinned against Jesus, that he had denied knowing Jesus. And Jesus wants to restore him in their fellowship And he wants to restore Peter's position, his authority amongst the disciples. To simply put, God wanted Peter to know, God wants us to know, that he is a God of second chances. Actually, he's a God of third chances and fourth chances and hundredth chances and 70 times seven chances. See, when Jesus took 
our sin, when he became man and he died on the cross for us, he took our sin. And if we believe that, if we take that for ourselves, we accept that, the Bible tells us that our sin is forgiven past, present, and future. And so that sin is forgiven. It's not used against us anymore by God. So we are free from that. And so when we sin against Him, we don't lose that relationship, but we do lose the fellowship, that, excuse me, that closeness, that intimacy, that and we know this, right? We, those of us who have raised children, those of us who have been children, when we've sinned against our parents, when we've disobeyed them, there's something there, right? And it has to be taken care of. That The relationship doesn't end, but the sin has to be forgiven so that the fellowship can be restored. And that's what's, what's happening here. And Jesus has done that for us, and he rose from the dead to defeat sin and defeat hell so that sin doesn't have to be a part of our lives and we can have him work it out of us. We had a confidence of fellowship. Before we go any further, we've got to go to this charcoal fire. I know you guys might not think it's important, but believe me, it's important. This is a great literary device that, that John is, is using here. So let me just give you a real quick uh, review of the charcoal fire. What John's doing is that he's, he's connecting this situation, John 21, 15, to what happened back on John 10, or 18, 18. There's a charcoal fire. He mentions charcoal fire in John 18, 18. And he's mentioning it again because he wants to draw our attention back to it. What happened back then? Jesus has been arrested. He's, in, he's uh, before the high priest. And Peter followed him. And he's standing at a fire, a uh, charcoal fire. And a slave girl comes up to him and says, Hey, you're one of Jesus' followers. He says, No, I'm not. I don't know this man. And so he denies the first time. And then he's at this charcoal fire and he's, he's confronted two more times by two other guys saying, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. He said, no, I, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows. But what John doesn't tell us, Luke tells us. Luke, we're told, he goes and investigates what he's heard about Jesus. And so he goes and investigates. And so John's written later than Luke. And so John's just giving us his eyewitness account. Some things he didn't share with us. Luke shares with us some added details that are important to this in John 21. First of all, Jesus predicted that John 21, 15 through 17, would happen before the crucifixion. Look what, look what happened according to Luke. So, Again, and before Peter's denial. So, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I don't know about you, but that's pretty, that's pretty arrogant of Satan, right? Who would Satan have to demand from? God, Jesus. So Satan comes to Jesus, hey, listen, I want to sift Peter like wheat. I don't know, pretty arrogant if you ask me, but here's what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you, which is pretty awesome, Jesus praying for Peter, that your faith may not fail. When? After he denies Jesus. And you, once you have, been, or have turned again, when's that? John 21. Strengthen your brothers. Then Luke tells us that Peter is torn up by this. The fact that he had denied. So on the third denial, he's just torn up emotionally. Look what happened later on in Luke. So this is the third 
um, third time he denied, he says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That word means he looked directly at him, right over the charcoal fire. Peter saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus get slapped by one of the officials. Peter was right there. He was watching it happen, denying Jesus every time. And on the third one, rooster crows, Jesus looks right at him, eye to eye, right over that charcoal fire. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before, rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was emotionally shot. He realized he had messed up royally. He had denied Jesus. And Jesus, as he looked over the charcoal fire at that time, now here, John 21, he's looking over a charcoal fire again. And where Peter denied him three times, he's going to ask Peter three times, do you love me? He's going to give Peter an opportunity to repent and to be restored and be recommitted to the mission. Peter's response, his initial response was one of repentance. Jesus' response was one of restoration. Now, how do we know that? Well, First, Peter's response shows humility. And if there's going to be repentance in a person's life, pardon me, there has to be humility. How do we know that? Well, he only commits to phileo love. He only commits to a a brotherly love. Jesus first asks, hey, do you love me? Are you willing to die for me more than these, these other disciples? Now, why did he ask him that? Well, Matthew tells us this. This is when Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to go to and be crucified. Peter stands up, puts his chest out, but Peter said to him, even though all, all these other disciples may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What a great commitment. Way to go, Peter. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, even if I have to agape love you, to sacrifice myself for you, I will not deny you. That's what he told Jesus before Jesus was arrested. And so now Peter is saying, I can't tell him that. I can't tell him that. <laughs> After all he just went through on the cross. He said, I can only tell you that I have a brotherly love for you. So then Jesus says, well, let's leave the disciples out of it. Do you, do you, just, do you just willing to say that you sacrifice yourself? Don't worry about anybody else. And again, Peter says, you know, you know all things. You know what my heart says. I can't fool you. My actions have showed you. I can only declare a brotherly love for you. And so as Peter denied three times, Jesus asks three times, and the third time, 
Peter's response shows that he has grief or remorse because for a person to repent, there not only has to be humility, but there has to be a remorse, a grieving over our sin, a realization that our sin is extremely bad. So Jesus decides, I'm not going to ask about sacrificial love. He asks Peter, do you brotherly love me? And it's, it's probably not just, hey, do you brotherly love me? But it's more of a, do you really brotherly love me? Can you really commit to that even? You got to know, because you and I are in this situation. We, we want to have that agape love for God, right? We want to be able to say to Jesus, like, I am willing to die for you. You got to know Peter wanted to be able to say that. But what grieved him is that his actions have shown that he doesn't have and did not have that love at that time. And so he's grieved by it. Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians. And he, he says this. He, he wrote to the Christians at the, in the city of Corinth several times, and this is one of those times. And he had to write some really hard things. He had to really challenge them because they were not doing life God's way, and they were misrepresenting who God was and disrespecting Jesus. And so he had to kind of straighten them out. And he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, that's that deep distress, sadness, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. You, you turn from your sin, you stop doing life the way you wanted to do it, and you start doing it the way God wants. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so you might not suffer loss in, in anything. So his, his point being that there's a, there is a sorrow, a godly sorrow that comes over somebody who's following Christ for their sin. And that godly sorrow then motivates us to want to repent. So Peter says, you know all things. There's, there's nothing you don't already know. And not only, but you know me from experience that I can only declare that I love you like a brother. And so throughout the conversation, Peter is repenting and Jesus is restoring. Each of Peter's humble responses, Jesus responds with a command. And this command is his way of restoring Peter's position and his mission. He says, listen, you need to tend my lambs. You need to shepherd my sheep. You need to tend my sheep. Now, a side note on this, each of these verbs, these two verbs, are what they call a, a, a present imperative. It means that this is something that Peter was supposed to do day in, day out, no matter how he felt, if he was having a good day or a bad day, if he got off the, out of the wrong side of the bed or not, if he was hungry or not. Whatever he thought he may want to do, his responsibility was to tend and shepherd the sheep. When you're talking about sheep there, it's obviously talking about believers, those who follow Jesus Christ, the, the church. And he was to tend them. He was to, to feed them. It has this idea of not only telling them what the Bible says, but then training them in that. Why? Because what Peter is supposed to do for the sheep, the sheep eventually are supposed to do for each other. It's a little different than the actual sheep. The sheep don't ever really teach each other how to eat. But as Christians, we're told in the rest of the New Testament that this is something that all of us are supposed to do. It's just that Peter was going to be the one who initiated this stuff as one of the 
first apostles. And he was supposed to shepherd them. And that means to lead them and to protect them and correct them. Which, by the way, is a very difficult job to do. To try to keep sheep in line and going in the direction that they need to do. I was watching some English show and they have it easy in England. You know, they just sit there and go, hey, hip, 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 hip. They did. Every time he made a noise, the dogs, they were going around and getting the sheep for the guy. He didn't move at all. Thinking, that's the kind of shepherding I like. I could just stay up here and go, and I have some sheepdog running around, getting everybody, you know. I sent him over to someone's house. Hey, you haven't been at the church for like a week or two or three. Hey, go get him, you know. I don't know who that would be, but uh, somebody who likes to run. But back in the day, the shepherd was doing all that. and Being a pastor, that's what a pastor is, is a shepherd. And that's not an easy thing to do. And that's why Peter's supposed to train others to do it too. Our entire church needs to be doing that for our entire church. That's what the rest of the New Testament is really about. But it's cool to think that Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, became the guy who God chose in Acts chapter 2 to stand up in the middle of a massive crowd, thousands upon thousands of people, and preach the first gospel message of the church. That's awesome. What Talk about restoration. 3,000 people placed their faith in Christ that day. Man, we baptized over 100 people. I only had to do two. Can you imagine doing 3,000? Yeah, I might actually get in shape. <laughs> so that's not it, though. Jesus still has more conversation with Peter. So look what Jesus chooses <laughs> to tell Peter. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself. It just means to dress yourself and walk wherever you wish. In other words, you know, Peter, when you were younger, like now, you, you can go wherever you want to go. You have freedom. You can dress yourself and go do whatever it is you want to do. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you or dress you and, and bring you where you do not wish to go. So in other words, there's going to be a point in time in your future where you're not going to have freedom. Somebody else is going to be leading you. Well, what's he talking about? Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. How would you like it if you knew how you were going to die? I mean, we all assume that's going to happen at some point in our future. How would you like to know how it was going to happen? Jesus, it's interesting because Jesus gives him some details, but not all the details. So, you, got, you know, I imagine Peter sitting there going, okay, I think you're talking about my death. I'm not really sure exactly how that's going to happen, but it says that Peter's hands would be stretched out, and so scholars, as they kind of search that out, they, they say, well, it's either being crucified, you know, like Jesus was crucified, or it was being put in a, a, a stocks, you know, like back in the day, because Rome did that as well. The Bible doesn't tell us how Peter died, but Church history tells us, tradition actually tells us, that he was crucified upside down. He, he didn't feel like he had uh, the honor, or should have the honor of dying like Jesus, so he was flipped upside down and crucified that way. But whatever the case, what, what Jesus was telling Peter is, when you die, your death will glorify God. Certainly his life would be, he's dedicated to teaching and training and correcting and helping the church grow, but now he knows that his, his death would glorify God. 
When you die, what will people talk about? Will they talk about you, what you did, how you did it? Or will they be talking about God and how your life looked the way it did because of God in your life? I was at a funeral recently, and it was amazing. Everybody who got up there talked about this individual so in such glowing and he, he, well, he was a personal friend of mine, and I was actually one of the people up there talking this way. Awesome, awesome friend. And it always went back. Why? Because of his love for Christ. His death glorified God. And one individual that we know of placed her faith in Christ at that funeral service, which was awesome. So knowing that, that Jesus had Peter's life and his death in his hands, Jesus reminds Peter, hey, listen, your goal in life Your responsibility in life is to follow me. Do what I tell you to do. So how does Jesus define following him? I think this is kind of an important definition to have. Because remember we talked about several weeks ago, or last week, I can't remember, my days all come together. We have a tendency to read into Scripture what our expectation is, what our want is. But it's important for us to understand what is it that God's actually saying. What's, in this case, what Jesus is actually saying. And look how he describes following him. So, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, most of us should be sitting there, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What, you know, on Christmas morning, peace on earth. Goodwill to men. The Savior's here. Yeah, he brought peace between us and God. But there's something happens. When we place our faith in Christ, something happens. And this is what he's saying. There's going to be division. Where? So he pulls from Micah, which is in the Old Testament, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus pulls from there and he says, For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me. In other words, he who who considers the opinions of their parents. Now he's talking to adults here. Those who consider the, the opinions of their parents more important than Jesus. That was, as that person is trying to follow Christ and they're giving them a hard time for following Christ. If that means more to you, That person is not worthy of me, Jesus is saying. You're not worthy to call yourself a follower of Christ. Go back, please. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If if you're more concerned about what your kids are saying about you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, then you're not worthy of following me. Now again, he's talking to people who have already given their lives to Christ. He's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about people who have already placed their faith in Christ. And he, this person who claims to have faith in Jesus, who does not take his cross, in other words, dies to themselves, stop doing life your way, and follow after me, do life Jesus' way, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life, the person says, yeah, I'm going to do it my way will lose it, talking about eternity. And he who lost his life, gives it up for Christ's sake, will find it. So what Jesus is saying here is that for Peter, 
to follow him is to obey him, is to do what Jesus says to do in all areas of his life, just like Jesus followed God. And when we do that, it's going to bring division to our closest relationships. It'll bring division between us and our parents, us and our kids, us and our close friends, us and those that we're dating, us and those that we're engaged to, us and our co-workers, us and our neighbors. When we say we're going to place our faith in Christ, that means we're going to do life His way, and there's going to be other people. Some will call themselves Christians, some will say, I'm not even a Christian, and they're not going to like it. And then we're going to have a a choice to make. Peter, when he denied Jesus, those three people, their opinion of him, the peace that he could have with those three people were more important than his relationship with Jesus Christ. And sadly, I I know people who have, have changed their belief system even. Things that they used to say they believe, they no longer believe it. Because their child or relative of some sort or whoever. You know, God has certain things for us, certain ways for us to live in, in marriage, and a man and a woman. And some people have said, no, well, actually, you know, gay marriage is okay because, why? Because they want to have peace with their relative. You have the transgender Thing. You have people living together. You have, there's a whole sort of things that Christians look at now, professing Christians look at it and say, well, and I'm telling you, it's coming down the pike. And I'm not saying it's a bash on anybody. There, people who do that, live that way, are, are doing what they're, in a sense, supposed to do. They don't know God. And, and God, the, what God wants is for them to come back to Him and have a relationship with Him. So that he can give them the life that they're actually searching for. The relationship that they're actually desiring. The identity that they're actually craving for. It's found in God. It's found in, in how he's designed things. And we have a bunch of Christians who are not willing to stand up to that. Jesus says, you're not, willing, you're not worthy to carry my name. When we place our faith in Christ, we give him our entire life, including what we believe. So all believers, we're we're to be concerned only with following and obeying Jesus, which is why Jesus then has this conversation with Peter. So Peter, turning around, so they must have got up, had an after-breakfast walk or something, and they got up, and like they normally do, Jesus walking, they're walking along with him. But turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on on his bosom at at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Let me just... When I'm reading things, I'm always saying, okay, if we have somebody who doesn't know anything about the Bible or is new to church, they're going to be like laying on the guy's bosom. <laughs> What's going on there? So let me just really quickly explain it for you. Today we have a table and we sit chair, you know, chairs and we sit there and we eat like this, right? Back in the day, first century, there was a, the food was down, might have been raised up, it might have just been on the floor. But they would actually lean, they'd lay on their side, lean in and eat this way. Their feet, of course, kicked out this way because they had really bad smelling feet because they wore sandals. And so... They're like this. And so when he talks about laying on, his, laying on Jesus' bosom, he just means he rolled back to talk to Jesus because Jesus was doing the same thing. So it's not a weird thing. It's just John's way of explaining it. Uh, anyway, so he's talking about himself. 
So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, uh, what about this man? In other words, what's your plans for John? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, the saying went out among the brethren the disciple, that that disciple, John, would not die. And so now John's telling us, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And so we can kind of get this, right? Peter has now figured out just a certain way that he's going to die. And like all of us, I mean, if Jesus told me, if we're all hanging out and Jesus comes and says, hey, you're going to die this way, the natural question would be, well, what about everybody else? How's everybody else going to die? So I can see Peter asking that question, why, you know, what are you going to do with him? And again, typical Christians, you know, we're always worried about everybody else, what God's going to do with them, what, what they should be doing for God. And it's interesting, Jesus' response don't worry about it. Don't worry about John. You follow me. See, too often we focus on other Christians. Too often we, we compare what they're doing with what we're doing. We compare their lives with our lives. And a lot of times we'll do that in such a way that we feel better. Yeah, they're not, they're not quite doing what they should be doing. I am. I mean, we wouldn't say that if somebody were to confront us on it, but that's what we're thinking about it. And that's where Peter was going down and Jesus was trying to stop him. We'll look at others. Well, they're not doing this and they're not doing that and they're not doing the other thing. It may be true. It may be assumed. But then we respond either feeling better about ourselves or maybe being discouraged. I know for me, a lot of times the way I deal with it is if, if I see somebody who I've talked to and spent time with about how they should do life and they're not doing it, I get really discouraged. I start thinking, I even start thinking, well, is it even worth it? I get it. I get what Peter's doing here. But we're not to let somebody's real or assumed disobedience cause resentment in us. To worry about them. Yes, we're supposed to care about people. Yes, we're supposed to sit down with somebody who may not be doing life God's way. We're supposed to do that in a loving way. We're supposed to encourage believers. But not to the point that we're lifting ourselves up or causing ourselves to be discouraged. One commentator wrote this. Resentment comes from looking at others. Contentment comes from looking to God. John finishes out his gospel in verses 24 and 25. We're not going to read them. He's just saying, hey, listen, I'm an eyewitness. Everything I've written here is true, and I've written it. There's a lot more that Jesus did, but I'm only giving you a small part. We know from previous weeks that that small part is enough to give us what we need in order for us to believe Jesus is, our, is God, and he's our Savior, and experience eternal life. But as we close out this, this series, it's actually kind of two a long one in a short series through John. What do we, what do we take away? Especially from this, these verses. What, what do we do? What's our response to this? Well, first of all, if you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Christ, you don't know for sure you have eternal life. God, Jesus, who is God, is a God of second chances. He desperately wants you to come to him. 
knowing and believing that He died on the cross for your sins, for the sins that has kept you from God, He's taken God's wrath for you. And all you need to do is just trust that. Put your full weight of trust in it and let Him know that you know that. Believe that He's God. He's the only one able to give you eternal life. You can't give yourself eternal life. Believe that he's Savior. He's the only one able to die for your sin, and he's done that. Believe he rose from the dead, and that rising from the dead gives you, and we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks, it gives you the power through God the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to doing life his way. And when you die, you get to go to heaven. It's, it's an awesome opportunity. And I would just love to know that if you made that decision this morning, just fill out a card, drop it in a box. Or come up and tell me afterwards and, and let me know that you've done that. It's just, you just need to have a conversation with God. Your heart. And just tell him those things. And let him know. If you're a believer this morning, for you, we need to make a commitment, each of us, to do life God's way. To follow Jesus. To obey what he tells us to do. So for some of you, you may need to repent and allow him to restore you and, and recommit you to the ministry, to the mission that he has for us. Some of you may need to commit, even if it puts you at odds with others. You need to finally take a stand and say, I know how other people may feel if I do what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do it your way. And then let God be the one who works out the details for you. Trust him that he's going to work those out. Some of you need to stop measuring your success against others. Your obedience to God is your measure of success. And God's the one taking the measure. And again, if you make that decision, I'd love to know about it. You fill out a card, you can let me know afterward. As the band comes up, what I'd like to do is uh, just give us a moment of time to just quiet so you can have a conversation with God. You can... Take these things, and as God has laid on your heart as to which of these you need to do, that you have that opportunity. But don't leave here without making one of those two commitments. And even if you're like, hey, everything's pretty good, then just say, God, I'm recommitting to keep on going. But if necessary, take time to repent. If necessary, you don't know, Lord, have a conversation with him and receive his gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Let's just take a time of quiet, and then I'll close that time here in a bit. Father, so thankful for the fact that you are a good God. 
a God who is a God of not just second chances, but 70 times 7 chances. That if you, as you commanded us to forgive others, you forgive us. Father, I pray there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you personally, that hasn't accepted your gift of salvation. Lord, that your Holy Spirit work on their heart and don't let them rest until they know you, to know that good Father that you are, who wants them to do life his way, not, not, uh, not to be mean, but it's the, it's the best way forward. It's the most fulfilling life. It's what they're searching for, that they would know you, their creator. And Lord, for those of us who have already made that decision, and maybe wherever we're at on that spectrum, you, Lord, that you would help us to realize that we need to commit to you full force to allow you to work in and through us, to represent you well to others. To, and when we stand against those who don't like what we're doing, Lord, that we would love them, that we would care for them, that through that then you would draw them to you for salvation. Again, Lord, thanks for this morning, for what you're doing in and through our church family. In Christ's name, amen.